Hey, welcome to the All to the Minds of Stigma, where we give a voice to the voiceless, brought to you by On Our Own of Howard County, Incorporated. I'm your host, Anthony. On Our Own of Howard County, Inc. is a nonprofit wellness and recovery organization. You can find our center on Dobbin Road in Columbia, Maryland. You can visit our website, onourownhc.org. Any questions, comments, and concerns, you can email us at info at OOOHCI.org or you can call us at 410-772-7905. In front of me, we have our awesome co-host and uh, awesome producer and director, Najma. Hi. And we have our amazing co-host today, Stephen Foster. Hello, wonderful people. So, I want to know how everybody's doing today. This morning, Nazmi, you still feeling eh again? Yeah. Oh, let's move on, Stephen. <laughs> how are you doing today? I am doing fine. Are you? I'm doing fine. You and look I good don't today. Mean, oh, I do. Yeah, you're looking smiley Yay. today. Oh wow! Yeah, I'm liking the energy, Stephen. I'm liking the energy. That's the first. No. Wow. You, yeah, I appreciate it, though. You're welcome. You're welcome. I don't know what yeah, it is, but you, yeah, you got the energy going. How on. are you, Anthony? Me? Let's see what's going on in Anthony's world. Anthony's world is okay right now. I slept well last night. That's good. Yeah, I took some of these pets out of the room so I can sleep. Mm. Um, yeah, thank God. And I, I went to bed early. I went to bed around 10, 1030, which is usual, un, unusual for me because I usually That's go to bed. That's early? At, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah, I usually go to bed around 12. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. I see I why you wake up at... Uh, Eight o'clock. Yeah, I'm very cranky. If yeah, I don't get my eight, eight hours. or nine. Yeah, I gotta <laughs> do that, brother. Um, so today we have a very special guest, and uh, he's coming to us from uh, the health department. He is in charge of the peers over there, and his name is Scott Sheldon. Hello. Hey, everyone. How you doing, Scott? How's Good. your day going so far? Uh, it's going all right. It's a little bit. Wednesdays are usually pretty relaxed for me, uh, nice. so this was a good day to do this on. Awesome, awesome. Right. We're happy you could you found the time to come in, man. Save it all day. Where here? Save it all day. No, I have to be at the jail. Uh, I have to speak to the life skills class there. Nice. That's like, cool. Yeah, let's um. Well, since you mentioned that, let's jump in. All right, first, tell me what you do at the health department and um, how it is to be in charge of these guys that these peers because they come here and I get to know them and there's some characters but that is, um, that is definitely indeed. true <laughs> and I'm not in, in charge of anyone I okay. just help coordinate and um, kind of task out to everyone to make sure that our roles as peers are filled by the right people at the right times okay um, I was so I work I'm I am the peer supervisor but I'm also a peer myself okay. um and it, I actually started as a peer with the detention center um wow and I was very early in my recovery and very early in my freedom from being released from the detention center as an inmate mm -hmm. and so it was kind of um it was a unique circumstance for that because typically facilities like that will make you wait years before you can re-enter them um professionally speaking they'll let you right back in if you mess up but right. <laughs> um so i initially started out helping 
the reentry case managers and helping inmates that were getting out that needed help with their smartphones and figuring out the bus routes and how to create uh, emails because a lot of people didn't even know how to do that. Yeah, and, you know, and then basically just helping them apply for jobs online and and kind of connecting them with the resources that I was given access to. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine like you're in prison and then you probably in there before maybe emails came out and stuff like that like you know well and often even if that's not the case it's just you just might not have cared right you know, like depending, learning, right. depending on what kind what your lifestyle was like yeah. uh you know like you didn't need it right <laughs> access uh to that sort of information exchange wasn't necessary right or useful for you know for me at least right um so then from there, I was I was just started going into the jail more and more, speaking to um, the reentry class and then the life skills class, which I am both a graduate, uh, I'm, which I'm also a graduate of both of those classes. And so they wanted me to come and kind of like share my experience. And then the health department has been in there for a long time. And so I would mm-hmm. often see my counselors that helped me while I was in there and they'd see me coming in to speak to these other groups and so then they were like you should look into coming over to our programs and working with us so they had an opening and I applied and so then I started with the health department um, wow. how uh, oh sorry Stephen go ahead yeah that's when I uh, met you uh, when I was a uh, member here at on our own and you came in um, as a um, one of the uh, peer recovery coaches. So yeah, oh, on our own has been. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just saying. Typically, you know, the health department has been in, in working in conjunction with the on our own peers for quite a few years. Yeah. Before, like before I got here, um, I've been with the health department specifically for five years in December. So just under five years now, um, and. Prior, you know, like I guess, w- when everyone starts out, they all everyone comes here to help, you know, to, to learn from the peers that are here with on our own, mm-hmm. um, and to kind of practice engaging with people and 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 having conversations, and because oftentimes peers don't have prior experience as a peer, right? It's more just you know the lived experience, but that doesn't necessarily prepare you for the functions of the job. It just right. means you qualify. And then you have to kind of maneuver your way in there. Sharpen your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> right. Learn the ropes. Right. Oh, I stand. So how does it feel for 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 you to the obviously I I knew you were since you were a hard house. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And so it's, and you used to like and I used to like so how does it feel to you to how to how does it for you to like to like them. Well, no, luckily, I could see where it would be. So, what she's referring to is when I when I was released from the detention center, I right. entered the Howard House program as a participant, uh-huh. um, and some of the staff that works at Howard House also works at the health department, and some of them are peers uh, within the program that I supervise. And so now, you know, and, and they were there when I was there. And so I was kind of like their client. Ah. Uh, and now I'm mm-hmm. their supervisor, at least during the day. Right. Um, and, you know, the health department works in conjunction with Howard House all the time. Howard House is a, a, the only inpatient treatment program um, in Howard County. Okay. 
and it's long term so like it's not like a 28 day it's like it used to be three to six months now it's six months to a year um nice. with possible mm. even more extensions um oh wow but, but so for a lot of people i think it would be weird and that was the concern i guess of when so when i when i went from being a peer to becoming the peer supervisor there was no prior peer supervisor with the health department um right oh super, really yeah the supervisor was supervising mul multiple programs and mm -hmm. multiple different staff um like the counselors in the detention center the people that work in the courts for the health department the people that work with the department of social services um as well as the peers so he had a whole lot of people to supervise and a whole lot of programs so then they created the peer supervisor position to help coordinate and and manage the uh many tasks and at that time we didn't have too many um on our own and the detention center were the main ones okay mm -hmm. and then that expanded into being on call with the police and the emts for overdose survivors and then that expanded into being on call to the public wow. and then and then that expanded into being embedded in the hospital and now we are also we run a syringe services program for the health department um we work in the school system now um and then where else are we that's awesome that seems like there's a ton of stuff like when I make the schedule, it and there's seven other peers besides myself, and there's like ten programs plus like phone assignments because we have two different phone lines that come directly to us um, for the public to access whether they want harm reduction services or need peer support and coordination and referrals for treatment options um, or just questions about peer support in general. So there's a lot going on. It's hard for me in you know especially kind of under the the pressure of being uh, on, on here remembering everything right um, right right because even yeah. even when I'm dealing with other staff at the health department sometimes I have to sit there and count and try and remember everything that we do <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot going on now it's it's built every year there's some new stuff that they're interested in adding peers to um, mm -hmm. I think the peer uh, well, it's nice that what you do now is can't just be counted on one hand. Right. It's kind of awesome that you guys are really spreading out and well, helping, you know. And it's really helped define um, the peer roles because initially I think a lot of people, they understood what a peer is or does, but then didn't necessarily know how to put that into action words. Right. Um, you know, it's because a peer is a person with lived experience. Mm -hmm. And then, so we're substance use peers, which includes behavioral health and mental health struggles. So we're kind of peers under that umbrella. Um, I have, like, I have a peer who works with me, and I'm I'm back in school online, and I have a, someone who also was a student at one point who now works for that school who helps me. So she's technically a peer for the school that I go to, wow. but not not a substance nice. use. You know, like she's an education peer. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So it seems that it's, you know, the the effect and impact that dealing with someone who has their own personal similar experience uh -huh. uh, is, is resonating more and more professionally speaking. When I met my first peer, I was an inmate, and I thought he was in there as a volunteer, you know, like for his 12-step or something. Right. And then he was like, no, I'm on the clock. You know, I'm paid uh -huh. to be here. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And I didn't think about doing it then. Like, I wasn't like, oh, this is what I want to do. 
But so it, you didn't know what it was that he did until he met you that time. Yeah, that I mean, I've, I've been working with him for like I was coming to groups regularly, um, uh -huh. and it was addiction groups that they that the peers co-facilitate with licensed counselors, and so I just thought he was in there to kind of add perspective, and he was, but you know I thought it was voluntarily, but you know because a lot of people do do that for their twelve step, you know, right. bring programs or meetings in, but this wasn't twelve step based, um, but I could see the correlation. And right. so then when he explained that it was a position that he had that paid him to be there, I was like, that's cool. And then it wasn't until probably a, a year later that the detention center approached me about coming back in to talk to people about my experiences that I started to correlate the two. And I was like, oh, I guess this is kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. I was more of a, what would be, I guess, considered a jail peer for that. You know, right. it wasn't the focus wasn't my recovery in, from substance use. It was from being in there, right? Okay. And like how I was not coming back, and in my mind, I was like, it hasn't been that long. I don't know that I'm doing anything. You know, like, different, right? Like well, I, you're different, but you didn't know if you were like had much to say. Well, I didn't know if it was gonna work. You know, right. like there's plenty of times I've been able to stay out of jail for a year or more, but somehow it would come back. You know, right. like and and now I understand why. But at that time, I was just like. I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't know how I'm going to convey that to other people. You right, know, right. and they were like, "Well, whatever you're doing, it's working." Wow. And I was just flipping burgers and not getting high anymore, and not hanging out with the same people. So well, that matters, though. <laughs> right. But yeah. tell me how going back, like, tell me what was that? How how did that feel for you? It was it was Be pretty crazy. Okay. Um, because I have spent more than eight years of my life behind bars as wow. an inmate. Okay. And been in like 14 different institutions. Um, since I was a teenager, okay. um, so it was very uh, odd the first time going in there mm -hmm. and then leaving. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, being able to leave, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, and I saw a lot of people that were in there with me, as inmate, you know, that were still inmates mm -hmm. um, or back in there again. And then I also had to deal with a lot of staff that knew me right. as an inmate that are now seeing me come in the front door. And now I have keys to the building, you know, codes to get in and out. Wow. And I'm, you know, I'm allowed to bring my phone and my computer in there. And then I, you know, it's very, so initially it was like, uh, this is so weird. It was jarring. Yeah. yeah. Did you, did you, um, did any of them come, come up to you and say that you, you going there and stuff has gave them hope? The staff or the inmates? Inmates. Or both. Yeah. Or both. Yeah. Both. Both, and, and then, you know, like, there, so initially, I think there were definitely people that were, like, I don't want to say impressed, but, like, happy to see that, what had, the change. Right. And then it, there was also just as many people confused and, like, mm -hmm. shocked by it also. Right. At this point, I'm not, I feel like nobody even sees me in that way, other than when I explain, like, even, like, in this situation, like, when I'm kind of relaying my story. Right. Because I'm so much not the same person, even when I was an inmate working on change, I still was, like, far away from the person that I am now. Um, but, you know, like, I guess others could kind of see me moving in that direction, and so I was mm -hmm. afforded opportunities by kind of being in the right place and being ready for those opportunities. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just try and convey that to a lot of the people there, you know, because honestly, what I realize now that contributed towards me constantly going back in and going back to drugs and going back to jail was my core belief that nothing is actually going to ever be different because of 
the life that I've lived for so long mm. that any change or any attempt to be different was temporary and just so that I could find some sense of stability, some semblance of it, mm. long enough to get what I needed to get to survive. Right. And so I had, once I got over the belief that nothing could ever be different, that opened up everything to me actually being able to be different. Um, and so it's kind of, I've realized now that that core belief is really the biggest barrier for anyone to get mm -hmm. out of the legal system, to get out of addiction, is that core belief of, I've already messed up, or this is just the way I am. Are they going to give me a chance? Right. Is the world going to give me a chance? Um, do mm -hmm. I have any hope for myself? I have seven felonies on my record and countless misdemeanors. Wow. And so, and, and, and I wasn't like a model inmate, and, and you know, like... I didn't exhibit any like unique qualities or behaviors that that gave me these opportunities or led me to being where I'm at now, mm -hmm. which helps me kind of connect with others in the everyman idea of like, hey, this this isn't something special. This is just you know a product of me doing the next right thing and and right. take, and taking that into consideration with all my actions and choices. Right. And that you know that's what I try and convey to everyone is like. It's not going to necessarily be the same story or the same results. Right. But if you just make the right choices and consider, I knew, like, through some of the trainings that I got in the life skills class and in the, uh, I took something called uh, Getting Ahead, which also educated me on assessing every one of my actions and choices. So, right. like, whether it was a phone call I was making, whether it was a place I was going, or something I was doing, is this going to move me in the right direction, or is this going to move me closer to my old ways? You know, like, right. is this going to move me towards what I want to get to, or is it going to keep me where I'm at, or bring me backwards? And also, I mean, did you, like, you might have felt during this time where you were going forward was, am I going to be, am I really going to be able to do this? Did you ever have those self-doubts about yourself and those, those, um, those fears? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it was more like, is this really going to work out? Mm -hmm. I'm, I've always, I've had the benefit of kind of always being the type of person that when I'm committed to doing something, I really want to do it. You know, okay. like, whatever it is. I used to grow and sell marijuana, and I put all my energy into it, and I did the best that I could. I used to use a lot of drugs, and I put all my energy into it, and did right. a lot of them. So whatever you <laughs> did, you were committed. Right. So it was like... Whatever I was doing, I wanted to do to my full capabilities. Right. So then now that's kind of resulted in... in what you're doing now. Right, the positive things now because right. I've let go of the idea that I... You know, like ever... So when I was a teenager, a friend of mine died in my house of an overdose and wow. they charged me with murder and I had to take it to jury trial. Wow. And I ended up beating it, um, but that happened very young, you know, very early in my life. How old were you? 19 when he died. It wasn't until I was 21 that I finished, like, beat the case. Right. But that whole experience coupled with me already forming major addiction um, was, I don't want to say traumatizing in the, like, what most people think of, but it was traumatizing in that it affected the way I saw myself and the life that I was in and, and kind of led me to believe that now I have these criminal convictions. I have these charges that even though I beat, they are easily seen by everyone. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, in Maryland, it's very easy to look at any chart. Yeah, and you anyone just look it up. You yeah. just look it up, yeah. So, like, you know, that kind of... And then some legitimate circumstances kind of validated the idea that my past is defining me. And, and mm -hmm. so I allowed that to continue and just locked into, well, I got to do what I got to do. And because I was so familiar with a shady lifestyle, it, it was that, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of immersed myself in that and then also abused substances to the point of obliteration. Um, and it's honestly kind of the, the biggest miracle is that I'm actually still alive and able to form complete sentences at all. Right. I, you know, this is my first time meeting you, um, so I don't know anything about you, but um, where, if you don't mind me asking, where did you grow up? Right down the street. Okay, uh, so here in Columbia? Yeah. Yeah, I went to Oakland Mills. I wow. went to Talbot Springs, Thunder Hill Elementary, because... My wife went to Oakland Mills. Okay. Yeah, yeah I went to Oakland Mills Middle and Oakland Mills High. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I got into a lot of trouble at every school I went to. Right. I had a lot of issues. Yeah. <laughs> So you said you started your your um, recovery starts when you were at what age again? The first time? Yeah. So I just want to get a feel for how young you were. Well, when I was four, when I was fourteen, um, I got arrested for public intoxication and theft down in Ocean City. Okay. Um, nothing major came of that, but then I, at fifteen, I got arrested here in Columbia for possession of marijuana um, and that sent me to my first treatment program as an outpatient but I gained you know I, I, other than hearing other, other people worse than myself in my eyes you know like I didn't really I wasn't interested in actually getting clean and I also didn't feel like there was a major problem I just kind of got I was in the wrong situation at the wrong time mm -hmm. and then it wasn't till I was a little bit older that I first realized I had a problem with drugs before there were even any major consequences um, and it was just my thinking and my motivations were centered on and it was actually LSD um, that I was mostly obsessed with uh -huh. I wasn't physically addicted to but you know like I was just f obsessed with it to the point of like always seeking it out keeping some for myself hiding it being on it and not telling people who would also like to be on it but I didn't want to share so like it became evident in my mind that you know, like, hey, I might have an, I might have a problem with this. Yeah, yeah. like once you can't, once you don't want to share, right, there could be an issue here. <laughs> right, <Yeah. laughs> and and that nothing actually came of that as far as change, but I know I remember those realizations, mm -hmm. and so then it was when I was, after my friend died, and before they charged me, like uh, it took them a year before they indicted me for those charges. So I was actually already in um, treatment when, and so basically when I was 21, it was like two weeks after my 21st birthday, um, I had heroin addiction and smoked marijuana all the time and I had gone through crack and cocaine use, but I had tried to get help by going through the proper channels at mm -hmm. that time um, I did there was no state insurance at that time so I didn't have any insurance um, and I'd recently had some abscesses um, in my mouth uh -huh. some dental issues not not in my arms like from uh, I hadn't started shooting up yet at that point but um, I tried to go to rehab and because I didn't have any insurance and I'd recently had kidney stones and I had these dental issues they didn't want to take me because uh -huh. they were like 
if you have any medical problems while you're here and you don't have any insurance, there's nothing we can do. So then I went back to the health department who directed me to a uh, methadone clinic. And I was like, wow, I don't want to be on methadone. I, had, mm-hmm. I hadn't had much experience with it, and I, but I hadn't seen any positive results at that time. So I was like, not... I was like, all right, well, I'll give it a try. But then, because I had no insurance, they wanted like $400 up front. And wow. it would cost me weekly, and I mm-hmm. had no money. I could literally get my drugs for free because I knew where to get them and how to get other, it from. Yeah, and plenty of people here would like me to get it for them and would just provide me some for picking it up to avoid them having to deal with that mission. Right. Um, and so I was like, well, I can get my drugs for free. I'm, I'm, I was literally out on bail from, from burglaries, and I was like... I don't want to have to get more money in order to get clean. And so then uh, an ex of mine contacted my mom and was like, he's trying to get help and it's like not working. So my mom decided that she would help me and paid for me to go to a rehab in New Jersey. Um, okay. And that was where I first committed to the idea of getting clean. Um, I built up like just under two years so i stayed there and then i went to a halfway house in baltimore city and i stayed there and then i came back to columbia where i eventually relapsed i wasn't i wasn't connecting with the right people i wasn't changing everything i was still Mm -hmm. very young and and strong in my belief that it was like something like a decision or or an incident that kind of led me down the wrong way so i was like if i just i just don't do that then I'll be okay. Right. I, I could do this, but I can't do that. Right. So there when was some denial there for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, and a lack of, I want to say maturity or, or self-realization that it's not a singular, there's no catalyst or singular incident for, for someone like me in that situation. It right. is It is a perspective and like an internalized belief system that needed entire revamping in order to come out with different results. And it took me forever to figure that out. Because wow. it wasn't until I was 37 that I, like, now at this point, I just passed seven years clean. Congratulations, brother. Yeah, hey. congrats, man. And, and, uh, thank you. And But prior to that, you know, like, I think that 22 months from when I was 21 was the longest that I'd ever had um, without being incarcerated that I was clean from drugs and alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. And that so that was, on, you know, so you almost said 20 30, years. That was 37? Well, 21 was when I built up just under two years. Right. It was 37. I'm now 44. Okay. So I was That's 37 I was when um, I got clean and hopefully got willing for the last time, like having to, you know, to, yeah. to go through that. Right, right, right. Um, also, my last incarceration got willing. Right. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, um, so you said, okay, at 37. What was it at 37 that said, okay, this is going to be the time? That's a, that's a good question because there was not like I definitely have been in way worse situations mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and I want to say had more going on mm-hmm. and this last so th- I got arrested for stealing groceries mm-hmm. because I was trying to save money and so I just would I just loaded up the cart and took them out without paying um, and they somebody wrote down on a license plate and pulled me over the police were like, you have receipts for these bags of groceries? And I was like, I don't. And and so then, because of my criminal history, which is extensive, uh, the judge basically said he was going to give me a year 
no probation because they didn't want to have to deal with me anymore after that. Right. And this is something that typically, because it wasn't a ton of stuff, typically a person might get 30 days or 30 days suspended. But because not, of your record. Right. Yeah. So while I was sitting in there, uh, the person that I cared about and was kind of with at the, in a relationship with was continuing to use and spiraling out and I was kind of seeing that in pieces right. from, from the random visits and random calls that would actually connect um, and it was just kind of that one time she visited me and was talking about when I got out and kind of telling like laying out some plans which involved drugs and, mm -hmm. and that sort of thing and I was like so I'm probably going to have, if I get out early, because I was trying to modify out, which is like basically asking them to reconsider the sentence they gave me. And if I do that, they're definitely going to give me probation. Because that means they'll shorten my sentence. But by doing that, they're like, here's some probation on the end right? in order to give you this leniency. And I knew that's how that worked. So I said, I'm probably going to be on paper if I can modify my sentence. Which means, like, I'll be on probation. Um, so I was like, maybe you should consider going to treatment. And her response was, nothing's going to change. And that mm. felt like a punch to the gut. Right. <laughs> and I was like, but it can. And she said, but it won't. Mm -hmm. And so then that was that was the last time that I ever saw her. Um, and at that time we were married. So years wow. later, we, you know, like she kind of disappeared and went off on her own. Um, but I took that very, not her leaving, but just her telling me that nothing was going to change. And I was like... Mm. but it can and I didn't want to believe that it couldn't anymore and for so long I accepted that it, like the same perspective that she had mm -hmm. was something that I had and so it took me from a clear mind and from the intent of maybe making some changes and then basically being challenged right <laughs> you well, know like which isn't necessarily always the best motivator like yeah, it shouldn't you be know. like I'll show you so you guys were married yeah so when she said that to you, how did I know you just you said how it made you? It was like a punch to the gut, but it also was saying, basically saying, "I'm choosing drugs, not my husband." Yeah. How did that make you feel? Um, I mean, I understood it. Right. Because you were there. Because right. you've been there. And, but it, so I didn't take that. You know, obviously I was because uh, it wasn't until later that I realized how much like we were done. Mm -hmm. Um. Because when you're, you know, like when you're incarcerated, you have very limited access to any outside information, right? Including like what anyone else is doing, and so you know, you just kind of have to deal with that first and foremost, more than anything, right? Um, so I wasn't sure where we would go from there anyway, prior to those conversations, but you know, w because I had lived in the moment for so long, I had never, you know, I wasn't really ever worried about. I always expected that I might be dead or you know my life would be entirely different and then years would go by and it wasn't and I'm like I'm still here right everything is still a mess you know like right maybe I need to do something different but it without that shift of perspective and and that kind of challenge that she gave me of like nothing's going to change and I'll show you in my mind that's what I said later was like I'll show you everything is going to be different you know and, right. it, and it doesn't have to be the way that it was and believing that for so long subconsciously is why you know that whole self-fulfilling prophecy thing was a reality right um and so i kind of had to prove 
myself and everyone around me otherwise because I definitely was one of those people that people were always hopeful would make that change but after you know by the time you've been doing it for 30 years or 25 years you know it's like it's hard for anyone to believe that you're actually going to do something change, different yeah. yeah and they and you know sometimes people they it's like people, you know, they've heard it from you before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's like they, you know. So Absolutely. You, yeah. So you, and you heard it with yourself. Yeah. So you basically, you had to convince them and yourself. Yeah. And, and honestly, there are still even people that I care about that are like trepidatious about like, is this real? And it's like seven years later, yeah. you know, doing a lot, like honestly, but I don't know how much damage I did during all those years, you know, so I kind of have to accept that. Yeah. Well, until they feel differently, you know, I can't make someone feel different. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, at this point, it's like the most I can do is the best that I can do for myself right. and, and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I am happy to be in this field that I'm in right. because I have access to the full spectrum of substance use issues, you know, from, from the worst fatalities to the best success stories and right. everything in between. Whereas if I had gotten, you know, like... When I got the job flipping burgers, I thought I might be doing that for the next 20 years because right. I, you know, most of my life I had been working illicitly. So, right. so you were like, where am I going to go from here? Well, and, and in my mind, I was like, I better do this good because this is what I'm going to be doing. This might be what I'm doing. Right. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, I did my best to be a great worker because I legitimately had no real work history that I could refer back to that I could put down on paper. On a resume. Right. And so, you know, like in that, I just, I had to like... If I had stayed in that field, or if I had found a different niche that I wanted to do to be successful at, um, I would need to make sure that I continued to have a thorough commitment of my recovery process. Because I see a lot of people who are doing well, but they, you know, if they cut themselves off or kind of disconnect from from their recovery process. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. then it's real easy to not continue in that forward growth and development. And and to me, that's the most important part about recovery is right. like uh, the ability to reflect on yourself and work on change right. that, that moves you in a positive direction. And so if you're just busy and doing something else, then it's real easy to just do that. Right. And because and there's, there's a lot of good jobs out there and there's a lot of good career fields that don't necessarily give you the opportunity to constantly help others and reflect on yourself and see yourself in others and so it's a huge benefit of working in this field you that's know? awesome mm-hmm. um i just want to go back to something that you said that really uh, that got me um when you said that some you know seven years and some people still don't see that or don't want to or can't believe the change um and you said uh, well, you you put others through the situations, and so you're like, in a sense, you're really being patient with them. In a sense, for them to see the real you, that you are now. But when you said you put uh, the fact that you said that to me was like you took um, responsibility for what you put them through, and um, that's a real important thing that I don't see in a lot of people. That you actually are taking that responsibility yeah and i think i think i need to be more direct with them right um as far as that goes Mm -hmm. um in order for them to like because honestly 
so I haven't talked to my sisters. I have two older sisters that I haven't spoken to since 2005. Wow. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, and I never, you know, I didn't directly um, impede on their lives. Right. But by my self-destructive mm-hmm. um, and lack of self-worth, mm-hmm. I imagine caring about somebody who just doesn't care about themselves or the life right. that they're living. That mm-hmm. it, and what you're putting their parents through. Right, you know, yeah. so... And and so through all that, I understand why they felt the need to disconnect. And you know, like they, I, though I know they've gotten like minor updates, like from my brother and my mom, who I do communicate with. They decided a long time ago that they didn't want to deal with me mm-hmm. because it was too much for them. Right. And by doing that, everybody kind of stopped having the overlap of conversations, or you know, communication. Like, right. And so, you know, it's kind of like they were protecting themselves right um and then even though you know like the changes are major and much longer unless i directly deal with it then i don't necessarily know that they should have to believe that right right, right, right. and so it's more like there's still actions that i need to do in order to work on that Uh and i'm mostly just like well you know like at this point after this long it's kind of like i'm used to it yeah. And I would like it to be different. Right. But it's also not on the top of my priorities of things I need to get done just because I've become so, like... Right, right, right. ...comfortable with the disconnect that's there. And it's also, uh, I want to say, like, not normal, but it is a familiar tactic in, in my greater family structure right? <clears throat> to be able to disconnect or, like, not involve yourself with someone just because they're blood. Right. Um... So I get it, and and I don't, you know, and I can't blame them, and it's more just awkward at this point because now it's like, without the communication, I don't necessarily know how they feel or what they think, and so I wouldn't necessarily know what makes sense to say. To say or do. Right. But vice versa, they don't know you. Right. In that sense. Um, I should probably write a letter, and I've said that before. And you know, it's hard because you you you're trying to maintain your life, right, and stuff like that, and yet. You know, and that takes, that's a full-time job right there. Right. So, I mean, I, get, I, I, I can totally relate to that because I'm on the other side of that spectrum where my brother was an addict and I stopped talking to him because I, too, was trying to protect myself from him impeding on my life. And, um, you know, and then when I saw that he, he, was, he wasn't maintaining his, you know, when he would come out of prison, he wasn't maintaining what he was supposed to. He would always go back to that life. So I, it got to the point where you, like mm-hmm. you said, it just became an over and over thing where I just had to just cut myself loose from that. But um, right, because you're gonna hear the same like, right, oh, it's different this time. Yeah. And then um, <laughs> when you I know, go, when I go in the jail and ask everyone in there who's been here before and right. said they were never coming back, and yet here you are. You, yeah, I can't imagine. There's <laughs> a lot. Yeah, and then you know it's like, you. Um, it came to a point where I did start talking to my brother again oh, because he, he maintained a thing but now we're not talking again totally because he's, of something other things that he's done right, it has right. nothing to do with the drugs or anything like that but so I can relate in that sense where I'm on the other side of that sure yeah so um, well and it's taken a lot for me to kind of I guess working in this I really you know in this field, it is mostly my work is conversations. Obviously, at this point, I'm coordinating and, and directing people on like where to be and and, and where to go, right. what, what program to work with. But generally speaking, 
the peer job is to engage in conversation. Right. And hear where somebody's at. And right. so that has given me the tools to to reflect back. And often it doesn't happen right away. Right. But, you know, like, I now understand other people better than I ever would. If I was working in a different field, I wouldn't gain these tools and yeah. understanding. And yeah. that's, that is the benefit of 12-step programs and smart recovery and any of those, like, any program to help somebody through their addiction is usually a, a self-help like rebuilding mm-hmm. and so often there are people that are just uh, a-holes <laughs> that don't have substance problems who you almost wish did because then it would provide them with some understanding to go to yeah. get some tools to change and grow right and because right. there's no 12 step for just being an a-hole you know no there isn't unfortunately <laughs> right I'd and a lot, a lot of people, of people would benefit that. right a lot of people <laughs> would benefit from working that program because it just makes you reflect on yourself and yeah. work on change and so yeah. uh, you know like and and that's huge yeah. Well, it'll be a process too because denial will come into play right. as long as every, and amongst everything else. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, so just to you know, finish up here with you because I, I you know, I'm, we're going to have to do like a part two with you, dude, because <laughs> I'm so like fascinated with stuff that you have said and the, the, the life. Because you walked in, like I said, I've never met you before. You walked in and I would have never expected. Yeah the stuff you just said to me right. um, and, and, and you know and then that's why I asked you where did you grow up and you said here in Columbia and like I grew up in Harlem in New York and I didn't have what you had the problems you had you know what I mean like you would have thought that maybe it would have been the other way around right. you know I'm Puerto Rican you're white it's like you know you don't know yeah. what, what, that's just goes to show you judgment needs to go out the window stigma needs to go out the window because right. you never know who you're talking to right? and you just can't assume right what people's lives have been like when i tell my story i have to tell it as if i'm like watching it because yeah. it seems very uh foreign ext- extreme and like not unbelievable but it's like wow like mm-hmm. that is crazy yeah. you know and and, right. I, and i don't i mean i don't mean to use that word you know like no i get it no i get it it's just like i disconnect from my own past in order to be able to speak on it without sound like having to embrace like i did you know i lived a rough terrible life a lot of it by my own choice and a lot by my own you know direction Mm -hmm. and so you know like to not be there and like you said when i go in the jail the people that don't know me are like this guy he does what's he what's he have to say right and then other people will be like nah i would like i grew up with him or you know like i was in here with him he's got some crazy stories listen (laughs) you you need to listen to this guy but um that saying you know just to um, circle around but I just want to say um, or ask when you look at yourself now and you see w- what was back then um, what do you think what's, what comes, what's the first thing that comes to your mind um, that I'm glad that I found peace right. and yeah. the value in it because I was so comfortable and familiar with chaos and intensity right. that I just lived that way all the time and was okay with it because it's what I knew. Right. Even though it didn't feel good and it wasn't something I wanted to do, but I was used to it. Right. And so, like, for years, these little tastes of peace or lack of chaos were foreign and, like, I don't know what to do with myself. Uh. And so now that I have found the value in, in myself and the peace that there is, uh-huh. kind of being able to embrace that and wishing that I had had a taste of it sooner so that I would have chased it sooner. 
and so that's why like when I talk to people that are messing up that are still in their teens or 20s that are like well you were 37 when you figured it out I'm like right and there was nobody here telling right. me ahead of time that had a similar story right that could you know like I'm trying to be that not change but just to plant the seed of like right. you don't have to you don't have to wait till you're 40 like, yeah. you know like people are like you should have kids and I'm like no, I literally just got my life together right I don't feel like I want to give it to the idea of building someone else's as much right. as I love kids right and would love that opportunity I love myself and the opportunity that I have to finally have my own life in right. a healthy positive way right now that yeah. I don't want to like give it to something else yeah it would be great it's right. like you just started living right for yourself right, right now mm-hmm. right and so if I could have done that 10, 20 years ago, that would have been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, man. Before we close, I wanted to tell you, Sot. Like, the first time I'd known you from my heart, from recovery, until now, like, the short stand, like, I'm very proud of you, like, you, like. Oh, thank you. Like, you inspire me, like. You admire, you admire him? Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm like in yeah. awe. Yeah, yeah, she yeah, knew yeah. me when I was in in the Howard House as a like yeah, just fresh out of jail. She was telling so. me. Yeah. <laughs> so you've seen the, the difference from when then <laughs> until now. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Like uh, I, I knew, I knew his potential. Mm-hmm. You knew his potential. It's like you're like if she's like your mom or something. <laughs> I knew your potential, Scott. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like <laughs> for a long time, that was often a like a jab. You know, like people right, be like, right. "You have so much potential," and you're like, "Yeah, I effing no," and I've screwed it all away. You know, because that yeah. was like what you felt like. Part you know? of it is like you don't even believe it either. Though. Right. Like potential. Like what are you talking yeah. about? Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, but, uh, no, but thank yeah. you. That was very kind. And yeah, I'm I and I'm in total awe of you too, man. Listening to your story and stuff like that, you also bring you you brought some understanding into my eyes as far as other things. Yeah, it's like an opening for me, vision wise. So what? What? Sorry. Well, I just wanted to mention too. Um, I um, I. I Never really uh, listened to your story before, uh, so your recovery story, and um, I feel uh, privileged oh, yeah. uh, to be here and listening to it mm-hmm. and hearing uh, everything that you've gone through and all the progress that you made. I mean, I know, mm-hmm. um, like I said before, when I was um, a member or just a member, and I met you um, uh, around that time. Um, um, it's just it's just awe inspiring, right? Mm. Thank you. Um, I I don't mean to go there, but it it's, is. It, it is. It it feels, that, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. Yeah, and I I feel bad that this is such a condensed oh. time limit where I I know there's so much I could hear, and I, I if you don't mind, will you could, do you think you could come back another time? Yeah, sure. And because yeah, I don't normally actually share much of my story yeah. anymore i'm not too involved with right. 12 step at the you know yeah. currently right 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 um i go when like friends are celebrating and stuff but generally like a lot of people get that cathartic like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. telling the story and so you know yeah. i don't and, mind at all and maybe you okay. could come back and even like not only just share your the rest some more parts of your story but also maybe you like to sit down and, and just co-host with us and just like 
hear and talk to other people that yeah, are going like, through this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. yeah. Th- that I don't, I don't want to commit to. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I got you. I got okay. you. I got you. <laughs> but but I, I but I will work on finding some. There's time. a limit to my kindness, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not even you're kindness. It's time. I'm I get you. I knew so you're I'm busy actually man. a full-time student, and I work for the Howard County Department of Corrections, and wow. I work for the Howard County Health Department. Right. So yeah, you got a lot going on. I run a transition house for people getting out of the jail. Okay. Um, and then I also have a relationship, and so yeah, then it's like, a lot too, yeah, right, and a lot of juggling. And she likes to do a lot of things, so you know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's like camping, traveling, wow. all that kind of. I'm like, yeah. wow, wow, wow. that's awesome. Time. It's the homework is the hardest part. Like, yeah, I decided I had to go back to school when my, my bosses kept leaving, and they were like, "Oh, you would be great at this. What kind of degree do you have?" And I was like, "GD." And they were like, "Oh no, you gotta have a bachelor's." And I was yeah. like, "I guess I need to go back to school." Good for you, man. Congratulations. It's never too late. Right. Never too late. Good, Nash. As everybody tells me. Yeah. <laughs> so before you close, like. What advice would you have to like the young ones? Yeah. The young ones, yeah. Oh, yeah. The youngins. The most important piece of advice for anyone is that what you have done or been through doesn't determine where you will be and what where you know and how you get there. Right. Like that belief that something that happened or the way you are or the way what you've been through defines mm-hmm. you yeah. or the path that you're on is the biggest yeah. problem for anyone. Yeah, um, your mistakes don't have to define you. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. Clap for that. Yeah, no, it's good. Let right. me proof, because if they did, I would not be this person that I am yeah. today. Oh yeah, definitely. You're you're a, you're the you're the what do you say the proof, like you said the proof. Living that, proof. Yeah, yeah, you are the living proof that change is possible. But uh, Stephen, won't you take us out, buddy? Thanks for All coming, right. Scott. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. All right. After five months. <laughs> okay, let me get through this. <laughs> All right, thank you for tuning in to our podcast. Don't forget to follow us or subscribe to our podcast. To see who will be on our show next Sunday, you can visit our website at onourownhc.org. Any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at info at OOOHCI.org, or you can call us at 410-772-7905. Want to be a guest or a co-host, you can email us at AMS at OOOHCI.org. We would love to have you. Nazma, wrap it up.